And welcome back to The Square. Joining us this week is our very good friend, our very special friend of the pod, Matt Deering. What's going on, everybody? Hello, listeners. Happy to be here. Thanks for uh, asking me to come on. We are honored to have you, Matt. You know, we're, we said we'd have you back. We said we, we would have you back under better times, better circumstances. You know, last time, like Dusty Rhodes said, it was hard times, Daddy, hard times. <laughs> but it's not hard times anymore, Matt. We're talking good times now. Even though it was cold, it was fucking zero degrees this weekend, like four degrees. Yeah, now it's 45 or something outside. Way to jump. Yeah, well, it's got to love that weather here. No, it's, it's, I saw a meme of like people sitting outside like, like with a parasol with, and a case of blue light. Now that it's 44 <laughs> degrees, like immediately like sunning themselves. Yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I'm sure there's people at Bidwell Park right now. Yeah, I drove I drove through. They, there are. Yeah, 100%. My house. 100% there are people at Bidwell Park because it's 45 degrees, so it feels like it's 70 because it was zero, a negative eight with they, a wind chill. They rolling around in mud or something? <laughs> playing ultimate frisbee. Oh. Yeah. You're not one of those uh you're not one of those guys who wears shorts when it gets like 40 degrees, Matt, are you? Like are you trying to prove something type of guy? No. I uh that is a I believe in Western New York that's a strictly unmelanated person behavior. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, yeah that, that is that is like a a white guy who's like who's his calves are the same size as like his upper arm. <laughs> yeah, correct. John, correct. John Fetterman does that. Yeah, right? yes, yeah. it's yes, the Fetterman swag. I can't yeah. pull that off. Right. I, yeah, I can't it's, do that. The 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 long Long jean shorts and like a black uh, t-shirt with some sort of slogan on it. Yeah, no, not quite my not quite my style. I I dressed up for you guys today, yeah. so you're looking good, man. Yeah, and, thank you. You know, you're looking good. You're feeling good. We're all feeling good. The weather's getting nicer. A little bit more sun. And uh, Matt, word on the street is there is a, a vacancy in in the city council, or there's soon to be. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been hearing. I've been hearing things about that. Uh, we we've been hearing things. You know, uh, Reverend Darius Pridgen. He said, so long, farewell. Thanks for all the fish. Thanks for all the fish. <laughs> he had a good time. He had a good run. And uh, and and somebody could be, uh, well, I would think somebody would run to replace him, right? They don't just leave these things vacant. They don't just let them sit there. No, I think the city has some sort of obligation to fill that seat. So They got to fill it. Now, who now who are we filling it with? Who are we, who are we throwing in there? Snake? You don't live there, do you? No, it wouldn't be me. I, I Not me. I just, you know, I don't want the smoke. I don't want the gym. No, no, I know of a couple of like uh, disposable mattresses that are like disposed mattresses that are living in that district right now. I mean, maybe mattress twenty twenty three. It's a great idea, though. Disposable mattresses. Disposable mattresses. Yeah. Disposable mattresses. Right. You can get them from one eight hundred contacts. Everybody needs a solid sleep system. (laughs) Sleep is the one of the building blocks of uh, lifelong health. So. All right, we've established, Matt. None of us are going to run for that uh, soon to be vacant Ellicott district seat. What about you? Uh, well, I, uh, I do live in the Ellicott district and I am going to be running for city council in the Ellicott district. Let's go. Big dubs, big dubs in the chat. So this is a, this is a square pod exclusive as of right now. Anyway. Yeah. You know it, baby. You come to listen, listener, you come to us for the heat for the, Ooh, Spicy. Listen, I figure I might as well start with a friendly interview. I have a feeling we'll get more adversarial soon. Yeah. No. We're, you think that Buffalo News editorial board is going to be adversarial? Um, they didn't do much of a hit job against you the last time they talked. You to know, them. let's. You know, I'd love to have another opportunity to talk with Lou Michelle about uh, about that story. Yeah, that's all I'll say. 
<laughs> so, you know, guys, it feels like we're at like a uh, an inflection point here in local politics. Absolutely. Really, it feels like we're at like a real changing. I was thinking about this as we we're preparing for today. We're in a real like changing the guard moment. Like this is surely going to be Byron Brown's last term. I don't think that's any. Um, it you know, seems surprise. like the writing's on the wall for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have like a whole influx of, you know, with the R-City action candidates, like we will surely have some new council members, some new faces with that. Now, uh, just as an aside, Matt, are, are you aligned with the R-City folks? Not explicitly. Again, this is sort of new. This is very fresh. I mean, I, I made the decision shortly after Reverend Pridgen decided to announced that he wasn't going to be seeking another term. Um, I'd been hearing things in the background for almost a year that he was going to be not, you know, running for, I guess it would be a fourth term. Um, So I've been, you know, kicking the idea around in my head, um, but I didn't know if he would actually uh, end up making that decision. So I'm, you know, a couple weeks into the process right now, but I've had conversations with, you know, with Eve Shippens, I've talked with India. Um, I haven't had a firsthand conversation with uh, Catherine Franco yet, but I know that she's also going to be running. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. What happens with that? But um, I'm certainly keen on their candidacies, and I've liked what I've heard, obviously from uh, from both Eve and India. Yeah, fair enough. And you know, it's like I said, it's it's new, fresh faces. It's a changing the guard. And now, Matt, in a candidate like yourself, you know, you're a young guy. You're pretty uh, pretty fresh. I'm excited for our first like Buffalo City Common Council member fan cams. Like I just love <laughs> the Matt Deering set to Scissors Big Boy. Yeah, like, let's go. You know, like you're you're hot, baby. You're you're on fire, fuego. Thank you. I appreciate it. No, I think um I think my age. You know, I. I I don't want the campaign. I think a lot of young candidates oftentimes stake their campaign solely on being young, which is something that I think can turn off older voters. Um, And really my goal is, I think because I'm a young person um, who has a a different investment in the city, not a monetary one, because a lot of people in my generation, we don't have that spare cash to make a lot of monetary investments. Um, But I was one of these young people who, when I was a kid, you know, I, I wanted to get out of town. You know, I left and went to um, a small liberal arts college in northern Wisconsin for a couple of years um, to study government because really I wanted to move there and then move to Madison and work in Wisconsin politics. Um, And, you know, life brought me back home and I realized this is a place with a lot of potential. And I think too many people are looking at the, you know, next five years, which I think is very important. You've got to deal with people's immediate concerns. But, you know, my hope is to, you know, live in Western New York for 65 or 70 more years, you know, see my, you know, grandchildren have children, God willing, um, not that I have any children right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think because that's the road that I'm I'm looking down, I think it gives me a, just a different perspective maybe than some of the other folks who are thinking about jumping into this race. And I think that... Um, that in of itself will be an asset, I believe. Yeah, and you are essentially a lifelong resident of the Ellicott District too, right? Yeah, I am. You know, my uh, I moved there in '99. Uh, I guess I moved in in the, the sum in the late summer. Um, my mom closed on the house uh, on Linwood in uh, the spring, shortly after I'd left to go spend the summer with my dad. So uh, I've lived in Western New York since 1997. Uh, we moved into the city in. Uh, 99 and 
with the exception of the years I was away at school, I've lived there ever since. Now we've heard some rumblings about, you know, the, the good reverend here, maybe stepping aside from the council. He might have some other moves in mind. Um, we'll, we'll stay t- We'll keep a pin in that. We'll stay tuned on that. But talk to me, Matt, the Ellicott district, it, it's a wonderful and it's a wonderfully diverse district. It is. Um, it is a beautiful district. And the thing, you know, in, in our, um, crazy gerrymandered little city that we have here, um, it ends up being diverse and lots of different pockets of, of voters that yes. may not voters who may not even realize they're in the Ellicott district. I, yes. That's I, I think a lot of my neighbors, frankly, like I said, I live on uh, Linwood. So the new district is just as kind of funky looking as the old district, but um, you know, it goes all the way from the Elmwood village, you know, basically all the way to Bailey. And um, I think you're right that a lot of those people in the Elmwood village have no idea who they're, you know, common councilman is at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it is, it's, you have two very sort of disparate communities, racially, economically, you know, uh, you look at homeownership rates versus rentership rates. Um, you look at the health outcomes of the people who live in the uh, Elmwood village versus the people who live deeper into the East side. You know, there are a lot of people who have, I think, I think we all in the city have common interests. You know, I think, um, I think you need a city council person who, is concerned with the needs of their district, but you also have to realize that they all work as a team and any of the solutions that are going to come for people who live in one district are ultimately going to affect and benefit everybody. So I think you have to um, be able to, you know, go across main street to where I grew up, you know, um, and, and go talk to the white people, frankly, who live in the Elmwood village, who own homes that they've seen, you know, skyrocket in value um, and go to them and find a way for them to have some buy-in across Main Street, you know, up on Dote, mm-hmm. you know, over on Jefferson mm-hmm. and A, get those people into that part of their community and then help them see the benefit of maybe making some changes in City Hall and in, you know, some of our laws that may affect them a little bit in the short term, but in the long term, we're going to make this city you know, a place that, um, a place that's what I think we all want it to be. You know, we all talk about the, the glory of Buffalo in the early part of the 20th century. You know, we had Nikola Tesla come here and all these things. And I want Buffalo to be that kind of a place again, but I think we look backwards a lot at that. And I think instead we need to look, you know, to the next, the coming of the next century and make sure that 20 years after that, the next Nikola Tesla who needs some, you know, insane space age uh, plasma generator thing. He can do that here instead of having to go to, you know, Nashville, Tennessee or Cincinnati, Ohio or someplace like that. You mentioned that, you know, like the council members, you know, while they have their district, they have to work cooperatively. And that's true but like because we don't have at-large members anymore. Correct. We used to have at-large president. We used to have our at-large members, people who represent the entire city besides just the mayor and the city controller. Um, I think that's really important. To, to, to think about like that like that it's, it's you can't just think about your district and I, I think that's a a pretty forward-thinking way uh that you can't be so parochial as you as you can end up as when you're a legislative member who represents a district no i i think that's right and i i mean i obviously in a city it's different than say you know being one of 435 people in congress or 140 odd something people in say the state assembly mm-hmm. um because we are a lot closer a lot closer to each other um but I, I think that the, you know, the, the, you need a localized approach and certainly different 
communities, again, deal with different issues. But, you know, the difference between Ellicott east of Main Street and Fillmore, you know, in, in that area that's off, actually off of Fillmore, not the part that's in Allentown for some reason. Right. Um, and then, you know, the parts of Maston District, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference mm-hmm. there, you know, in, in a lot of ways. And um, I think if you're hyper-focused, you're going to, I mean, you're going to miss the forest for the trees. Right. Well, we're all, I mean, it's all well and good to hold hands and sing Kumbaya until your district is the one that's getting plowed out last. And, sure. And, you know, and, and, I, and I joke here a little bit, but really the constituent services part, um, especially with the, the dynamics of the council, we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen Byron Brown kind of punitively hit on council members, uh, I think famously Mickey Kearns. Famously South Buffalo. Famously South Buffalo. We've seen that, you know, if you have like a hostile um, administration, the mayorship, that can impact, directly impact what happens in your district. So I agree with you. I agree the overall holistic approach needs to come with it. But I also know, too, that the residents of the district are going to be like, hey, where's uh, where's my plow? The good thing is now is that nobody gets plowed. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a fact. Great point. No, and, and I think like uh, I take your point, Rhea, and you know, on the constituent services angle, and I think this is something I said on my interview here. And if I didn't say it here, I think I said it on my WBEN interview last year. Is that I was the constituent services guy um, in my last, you know, in my last employment that was in government, you know, working for for the assembly and the day to day work of you know, fighting on behalf of the people who I worked to represent or I worked for a person who ostensibly represented their interests. That was the best part of the job for me. Um, And so that's sort of a focus on making sure that the people in the neighborhood get the things they need that City Hall is able to provide them. You know, that's a big thing that motivates me because I, I do, I have a lot of lofty ideas and goals and a vision for, you know, what I would want the city to look like, you know, by the time I'm dead or whatever. And yet I know that the, the day-to-day work is the small stuff. And that really is ultimately the, the stuff that I enjoy the most. And I, I relished the opportunity I had to do that going to the mat with a state agency over, you know, somebody's unemployment benefits or making sure someone who wanted to host a community event could get the permits that they needed um, to, you know, make, living in their neighborhood uh, a bit of a better time. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking forward to being able to do once I'm in the council. Yeah, and, and I think that that's important for, like, any elected official, uh, especially those in the legislative branch, to realize that, like, look, like you need to have, like you're talking about, like, long-term planning. And the long-term planning, your constituents don't see that right away. Um, so they might wonder what you're doing. If you have excellent constituent services, so they're seeing the, the their immediate needs addressed as well, I think that's a good way of, of doing both things, of, of bridging the short-term need while also looking at the long-term planning that the city so desperately needs. But, you know, as we see, like, stuff like the underfunded fire department, the underfunded DPW, uh, the water system is, is a mess. We, we can't even put fluoride in the water in the city of Buffalo. Hmm. Um, you know, so, like, clearly Which long-term is, planning. Sarcastically, I think it's a good thing. Keep your pineal gland uh, decalcified <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. Um, no, but I mean, like, you know, it's the long-term planning hasn't been there. No, I don't think in, it has. In, in the last, you know, I, I think it's fair to say in the last, like, 20 years, long-term planning hasn't been a major part of the city's I, I operation. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, I think that any long-term planning that's come has been 
you know, what are we going to do to like juice tourism or what are we going to do to, you know, get more concerts at like the worst, the venue with the worst acoustics I think I've been in in my entire life. Um, instead of, you know, creating like a sustainable city that looks like a city that feels like a city where people in every neighborhood know that this is a place where they can live have a family, be successful, and then you know leave something behind for the next uh, for the next generation and the one that comes after. Um, but you're but you're right. You know you have to, you know you can't have always have uh, the same you know sixty thousand foot view that those Chinese spy balloons had over the entire United States last week. You know sometimes you do have to get down to somebody on this block hasn't shoveled their sidewalk in three weeks, right. and you know nobody can you know, safely walk through the neighborhood anymore. And, you know, there were times when I worked in Pat's office where I would look somebody up on, you know, the real property. And instead of calling, you know, sometimes you don't have to call the police. You don't have to call code enforcement. Sometimes you just get on the phone with them and be like, Hey, your sidewalk's not shoveled. Somebody called. Can you get out there and do it? Right. Um, and, and that's the kind of work that I like doing. And, and, you know, as much as I love talking about ideas, um, the nitty gritty stuff and seeing how, the day-to-day work, you know, in government can improve people's lives, you know, even if it's for a day or two, I think is, is equally important. Yeah. I mean, I I think like, you know, coming up with a 10 year investment plan in the city, in the infrastructure or like in just like say like the city's it, because the city's website's a fucking mess. Like (laughs) try to try to access that thing on mobile and you get a, you get a better chance. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah. but anyways, not um, to mention the parking app that like always steals your money somehow. Right. Yeah. The parking oh, app. Yeah. Boy. The, yeah. The parking app. Um, but then like, you know, but you have to balance that with like, hey, you know, I live on dote, like you said, and like everybody's always going 45 miles an hour down the street because we don't ever have like nobody. The, the police are never around just to like to like just to cause people. When was to the last time you ever saw a, a, you know, a speed trap in the city of Buffalo? Everybody right. knows Main, right. Main Street is a 50. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, right. it was, I, I always joke that like the only time you see the police in Buffalo pull somebody over is because the police are lost and they're asking for directions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, that's it's either that or you know they got a hit on one of the license plate scanners right. or something. Yeah, because well, uh, I remember seeing something like a couple years ago that like in terms of uh, per capita, like Buffalo had like the third lowest DWI rate in New York State. And that is such a laughable it's thing. Got to be because they're yeah they're, right because they're just not pulling anybody over. Like all the municipalities around in the rest of Erie County are like skyrocketing super high because like we have four a.m. bars and, right. and a drinking and driving culture. They don't catch you until you get out of the you know, city like, limits. Yeah, Cheektowaga, Kenmore, Tonawanda, super high like per capita DWIs. Oh, yeah. City of Buffalo, no one drinks and drives in the city of Buffalo. Never happened. It's never, it's never happened before. Not once. That's could you imagine if they if they actually had put the uh, if they decided to put the stadium downtown. It would, it's like the libertarian <laughs> paradise here, frankly. Right, you it, know, it would, like it, it was <laughs> true. No, it, yeah, no, no, no snow plowing. You know, <laughs> let the you know let the market handle the snow plowing. Let the market handle the snow plowing. Let the market, uh, market handle the DWIs and 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 the water distribute. Like nobody, <laughs> everything is just yeah, like, put your own fluoride in. <laughs> right, put your yeah. Right, talk it, to your de- talk to your family dentist. About, right, uh, best approach. Right, it's, it, you you guys can do your own firefighting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll bring back the days when we would all stand in a line and pass buckets down and just <laughs> sort of hoist them. But if, a, if, that's the, if that's the case, I'm moving closer to the canal. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad plan. So 
the Reverend, uh, the good Reverend Darius Pridgen was recently on uh, WBFO's What's Next segment. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording, Matt. Um, he talked about, you know, his reasons for retirement. It was rather coy. Uh, very charismatic gentleman, though. You know, Absolutely. He, 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 he spun it pretty well. I got to hand it to him. He knows what he's doing. Uh, but you mentioned, and, and also on that interview, he talked about, you know, things maybe he wished he could have done, you know, talked about his accomplishments uh, during his time on the council that he was proud to be, uh, I believe it was the first pastor as an elected official. First full-time, I believe he said he was the first full-time pastor, I think, when he got elected to the school board to be elected to office in, in Western New York or in the city proper. I'm not sure whether it was Western New York or the city, but I do know that, that that's true from, it's my understanding. Right, right. I mean, that, and that's, that, that's interesting in and of itself, but he, he also talked about things, you know, aside from things he was proud that he did uh, during his time as a council president and just being on the council in general, but also some things that, you know, he wish he could get to or hopes to try to um, wrap up before the end of his, his term. And I'm, I'm going to throw it to you, Matt, because you said you listened to it twice and obviously you thought there was a lot to take in from what Reverend Pridgen said, what what kind of things would you take up the mantle that Darius Pridgen, um, you know, is is leaving behind as the council member of the Ellicott District? Um, I think you know, I I think he talked about his biggest focus for the end of this term that he that he's got is the situation with housing in the city and the fact that it's becoming increasingly hard to find a place that you can live in that's half decent and can allow you to like have any sort of any sort of a life at all outside of just going to work and mm-hmm. coming home and like using the internet or something. Um, and I, I think that is the most pressing concern from the people that I've talked to in the district sort of all across it, unless they're fortunate enough to own a home or have gotten in on, you know, when this, when it, when it was, as he said, really cheap to buy an old house on a, at the city auction or buy a lot and build something, um, that, that seems to be, you know, sort of far down the river river at this point. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about the task force that he's working to put together about housing. I, you know, got to fill out an application so I can be on there. And I, I've got people who are, you know, I'll say more, uh, more detailed on the law and the particulars, you know, sort of digging through some things right now as I like go through the process of crafting a more detailed policy, uh, you know, platform and everything. Um, but I do think that that's the big focus. You know, he talked about the city mission and making sure that McCarley Gardens stayed where they were. I think that's really important stuff. And then obviously he's just a guy who's been, you know, in the community his entire life, you know, running true Bethel, constantly doing you know important community work like you said he's always talking to the people and that's you know really cool to have a a elected official who's out there and is accessible the way that you know reverend pridgen has been throughout his career i'm pretty sure during the storm he was just posting his cell phone number on facebook telling people to like call him (laughs) if they needed something um and and i think we need more things like that from our elected officials too many of them are and i'm not you know, talking even, you know, locally or anything too many people, I think they can get into office and they want to be away from their constituents away from the people. They don't want to, you know, take a meeting or answer the phone or make a phone call on behalf of somebody. And, you know, I think especially by virtue of the Reverend being a Reverend, being a man of such strong faith as he is, I think like he came into the, you know, came into office with that sort of like servant mindset and, um, you know, I think that's what you're supposed to be a public servant. And that's the kind of person that I would want to be in office as well. 
Um, so I have, you know, some ideas about the housing situation, why it might be so bad here in the city. I don't know. I know, like you said in that interview, there was a lot, he's very, very measured. And that was a thing I, I, I picked up on a lot. I've attended meetings that he, um, has been at before, you know, I living on Linwood, the people on my block had fought for uh, almost the entire time that I'd lived there to get our part of the street included in the Linwood historic district. There used to be, you know, signs on the uh, lampposts. I think they're gone now. Um, and I remember going to multiple meetings where, you know, Reverend Pridgen would show up and, you know, talk to us about the concerns that we had. And I've also realized that a lot of the concerns that, that I had at the time were sort of small in the big picture. Uh, there was an attempt to build uh, an apart, some sort of mixed use, an apartment building on the corner of Maine and Ferry at the uh, Willoughby Insurance uh, Company. Mm-hmm. And well, nobody else will. That's right. And it <laughs> seems like nobody will be building a building there either. <laughs> Largely because the people on my street, including myself at the time, went and, you know, were like, oh, you know, there's going to be th- three weeks in the summer where for two hours in afternoon and I'm not going to get, you know, sun on my front garden or something. And, you know, now I sort of knowing what I have learned about, you know, housing policy and the way that the market works. I'm not a huge free market guy, but I think um, in particular with housing, it really is like a supply and demand issue. And again, this is one of these things where like for the betterment of the entire city, if we could have gotten 20 more units of housing there for me to not have some sun on the front of my house, I live on the third floor. I don't have a tree in front of the house anymore. It gets real hot up there. I wouldn't mind if I had a little bit less sun on the house. You know what I mean? Um, And, you know, and maybe it would help to make a dent, you know, on a, if you multiply that on a bit broader scale in these absolutely astronomical rent increases and things that we're we're seeing. I think about like, you know, like that building at the corner of Elmwood and Utica. Yep. Right. If somebody trying to build that building now where there is a lot of, uh, even below market rate apartments in that building. Somebody wanted to build that apartment, that building now, in that location, people would lose their fucking. There'd lives. be a riot. There would be a riot. Yeah, people. I mean, you look at like they wanted to add an extra floor to the the uh, proposed <laughs> uh, building at Bidwell. Yep. And people lost their minds. And it uh, was be- and it was because of this like not having sun on the back garden thing. And I, and I get it, right? Like again, I've lived in a historic preservation district my whole life living here. And I think like whoever else may be getting into this race, they may, I, I foresee sort of my living on the other side of main street being a, a hit against me, frankly, having, you know, grown up in the more affluent part of the district. But at the same time, I think if anything, I have a bit of latitude to go to those people and say like, Hey, I get it. Like I'm, I, I get it. I get the concerns about, you know, having invested in a home and wanting, you know, to see the value increase. But I think, Again, if the city becomes a you know a better place to live, a, a hotter and hotter market more broadly, we can your house your value of your house may go down in the immediate, but you know again ten years down the line, right, if like, the economy in the city has grown, it's also, everybody wants their value of their house to go up, but they don't want their assessment but they don't want their up. assessment to go up. Right. <laughs> Please let me sell my house for a million dollars, but keep but the assessment. Keep the assessment at exactly, exactly, and right. I think that's like a hard conversation to have with people, but I think. If anything, the last year has shown that I'm willing to have a hard conversation with people. Um, and I think, again, you know, sometimes our elected officials, you know, it is your job to represent your constituents, but sometimes it is to take a hard stance t- to lead them or to bring them to a different place. Um, and I think that's an issue where 
you know, particularly the councilmen who represent the uh, Elmwood village area have to be willing to go to these people and say like, we have to have a conversation about development in the city because we have, we, we can do a lot to like preserve the character of these neighborhoods, but we can't, uh, again, what Reverend Pridgen said on the, uh, to Dave Debo, you know, again, I thought it was very sort of topical to this conversation is that like, there is a old dilapidated house probably was beautiful 70 years ago, but like, do we keep this house that nobody's ever going to really live in or can we build something there that benefits the entire community? I mean, we see what's going on down in, um, the cobblestone district with right. this, yeah. you know, new, uh, apparently we're going to build the Adelphia tower again. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I think like it's, it seems like all that's going to happen there is the same thing that happens to a lot of these buildings downtown, which is that it gets uh, flattened and then turned into another gravel parking lot for somebody to charge, you know, 20 bucks a head, to park at for Sabres games. Right. Um, and a lot of these spaces, like that's a, I, I think, again, I, I have to, you know, I would have to dive into the environmental situation there and all that. If you could, you know, build housing there, but if there is a place where we can build some like dense housing, that's, you know, obviously I want to build more affordable housing, but we got to build housing of pretty much any and all types, because ultimately you have to, in it's a supply and demand problem. And if we can increase the supply, hopefully we'll get, you know, we'll get people moving out of older housing stock into newer stuff, which should eventually, you know, bring, uh, bring these costs down, but it's not going to do anything in the immediate anyway. And I think that's why there has to be sort of a, a two pronged approach to this like rent problem. You can't just do rent control or, you know, similar policies to try to, you know, keep these increases more manageable and you can't just develop either because that is a like that's a long road because mm-hmm. um, rent control is good at keeping people in homes who are in them now but you know eventually you're going to have people living in rent control apartments who could afford to move to a place that's not but they'll can they'll elect to stay in the rent control department because it's cheaper right and eventually you're going to still have a supply problem so you got to attack it from you have to attack it from both sides absolutely yeah, yeah. Matt, you mentioned a little bit ago, you know, obviously in the past year, you've had some tough conversations. So when we last had you on the show, major flashpoint uh, here in the city of Buffalo after the, you know, the Tops massacre um, back in uh, back in May of last year, uh, your dispute and subsequently dismissal from uh, Assemblyman Pat Burke's staff was emblematic of a lot of racial tensions that were already you know, I, I'm, I guess to put a face to a lot of things that we're feeling. And um, obviously we had John, this is a different time though. Um, it is. This, this is a different time in your life. And even those past six months, I think um, you, you strike me as not to say that you weren't somebody like you were, you're just a different person. You're, you're even, you're, I don't want to say different person, but I guess that that time was very tense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and no. and, and it, it felt like everybody was on edge. Um, and I guess what I'm wondering because I know the council, there's a lot of different ways to approach leadership and government. And, you know, there's some people who are, hey, I'm a coalition builder versus, hey, I'm going to come in swinging. Um, you know, I'm going to do have my own agenda. And and look, let's be real. You're going to go before like ECDC. You're going to go before, you know, constituents. You're going to go before stakeholders. And they're going to ask like Matt Deering, like, are you, are you, you know, what, how, 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 do you, how will you view your role as a council member, like what is it going to be like, uh, you know, I'm the firebrand or is it going to be like, Hey, I'm going to work or is it something in between? Like talk to us about what your leadership style could look like. Sure. I think, um, 
Are you Marjorie Taylor Greene or Nick Langworthy? <laughs> I I would rather be dead than be either of those two. Um, put me like under the church, all the way under. Um, I think that I well, I, I certainly think that you know the story from last year may have cast me as like a bomb as a bomb thrower, which I I think is an unfair characterization that again, I think was a lot of it was due to the framing of that very first piece. And so, you know, I was reacting a lot to the, the way that I think I had been portrayed. Um, but the reality is, you know, in, um, in my sort of circles, I am the, uh, at least when it comes to like both, uh, sort of policy implementation, the like ideas that I have, I'm a pretty like middle of the road guy now it's not to say I'm a moderate, I'm a progressive. And I think everybody here knows that, you know, um, there's a reason why Brian Nowak, you know, called me when he wanted to run for town council. And he was like, I like your values and you got a good head on your shoulders. Um, and ultimately, you know, regardless of the past, what happened, you know, between Pat and I, or, uh, my goal is to get work done for the people of the Ellicott district and the city of Buffalo. Um, and yeah, that will mean sometimes like you got to, you got to take a swing sometimes, but ultimately I think, you know, you get more uh, bees with, you know, honey than you do with vinegar, which I get is a saying that doesn't quite make a lot of sense. But um, mm -hmm. my goal is to go in there and, you know, present some ideas and then work to achieve them with anybody who's willing to do so, regardless of, you know, what political faction in the city they may be part of, you know, regardless of, you know, whoever they may be allied with or what, whoever's whispering over here or over there. I don't care about any of that stuff. And I think that's the thing that's upset me the most of being in politics is that the like petty personal, um, you know, infighting gets in the way of like getting good things done. Mm -hmm. um, and so ultimately my goal is, I think more toward that coalition builder side, you know, I want to work with the other people who are on the council regardless of who it is um you know in this campaign my goal is to go to the voters whether it's you know the voters in the district or ecdc or the stakeholders like you said um and present what my ideas are it may be you know highlighting a contrast between myself and whoever an eventual opponent might be um, but my goal is to not be negative um you know every candidate i've ever worked for you know there's some times where you got to go negative you know chris collins you gotta, you gotta swing at that guy. But most of the time, I think you're always best served presenting your ideas as they stand. And then, you know, letting people, you know, judge you on those merits. Um, and I don't like upsetting people. I have a bit of a righteous indignation sometimes. So if there's some sort of moral wrong that's going on, you know, with the stuff that's going on with the water authority, I think is crazy. Um, again, it's, it's not like a world ending catastrophe, but I think I don't understand how all we did was stick this thing in the back of these reports. And I think that's something that needs to be called out. I think, you know, the uh, city council is a legislative body that has subpoena power. I think it could be worth, you know, exercising that in this case, if the, um, you know, chairman doesn't you know want to testify or, or he doesn't want to come before the council voluntarily and speak subpoena, you know, got to figure out what went on with the blizzard. If nobody's going to come in and talk, you know, use that subpoena power. So there are times where you're going to have to, you know, upset somebody. But that's, again, that's like part of the job. I think it's, um, it's interesting what you said about like being positive and not being negative. Because I think, you know, I say fairly regularly that people don't vote against people. 
they 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 want to vote for somebody. Think about like the first time Obama ran. Sure. Right? People like, you know, people were crying. They were so happy to vote for for him because he inspired them to vote for him. People weren't voting against John McCain. Sure. Yeah, and, and they, I, they they were voting for him. And I mean, with the exception of Donald J Trump, you, like you have to be that bad for people to say we'll vote for anybody against you. Sure. Yeah, and and I think like the the Obama campaign, I think that's that's the idea, right? You you can talk about change, you can talk about what you want to do, which sure, you know, will in some ways highlight some deficiency of the way things were before. But you don't have to get down in the mud. You don't have to get personal. You don't have to, you know, do these sorts of things where you're sniping at people on social media or right. making it about this like inside baseball horse trading in the city or the county. It's like this is a, isn't about any of that. This is about the people who live here and the things that we each, you know, think could be done to benefit you know, to benefit them in the long, short term and in the long run. Well, what, and what was so subtly genius about the Obama campaign is that they weren't running against John McCain. They're running against, running George, against George W. Bush. W. Bush. That's right. right. So, you know, just like you said, Matt, like you're running against, um, not not you personally, but just in that scenario, you're running against like, you know, changing times. Like we, we need a change. We need to completely reevaluate how we, we do things here. What's interesting to me is that you, you seem to have some uh, pretty good relations with Darius Pridgen, with Reverend Pridgen. Um, you know, by and large, uh, been rather complimentary of his of, of his time in office, and I think that that's fair to say. Um, so, for you, to me, it's not like a, you know, uh, you, you as a as a uh, young person. I feel like a fucking million years old when I say shit like that. Okay, as boomer. Young, as a young person, listen, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be what's what's today the the fifth. I'm gonna be thirty in like twenty twenty some odd days. All right. Well, you're a young, sharp guy. Um, obviously, you know it's exciting to have people who grew up in the city who are young and, and listen for years like, hey, you should do something. Finally, you know, saying, okay, I am in a place in my life where I can do it and we want to empower you to do that. Awesome. Um, but again, like you're not coming from like a, you know, a bomb throwing like, hey, Reverend Pridgen, you know, his time was deficient. Uh, but I would also say the flip side is maybe in a way you and a lot of the other candidates that we're seeing um, on the Our City slate, it's a reaction to Byron Brown. Like it's not quite running against what Reverend Pridgen did, but rather the um, basically complete dropping of the ball that we've seen from the Brown administration. And and frankly, unfortunately, the councils, um, they, they've allowed him. They've basically... They've, they've been complicit. Complicit. Yeah, That's yeah. I think, for. I do think it's true that in some ways the, I think the, the a phrase that I used, you know, just before... Uh, Darius's announcement came out was that I think in some ways the council has like abdicated an amount of responsibility that mm. they have. And I get it right. Because you, like you said at the beginning, Ree, um, if you are too critical, then all of a sudden, you know, your constituent streets aren't going to get plowed or their garbage pickup is going to be messed up or whatever. And first off, that's a shame because I think sometimes the criticism of people in politics is BS, right? It is like, you're, you're looking for something to criticize and then you amplify it to a point where, you know, it like becomes quote unquote credible. But I think sometimes people just make bad decisions and bad decisions, a, a criticism of a bad decision in good faith is something that a person should, you know, take ownership of and then find a way to improve that. And I think, I think you're right insofar as that, like, yeah, I mean, I worked for Schroeder in 2017, so clearly I've been you know, displeased with the state of things in the city 
you know, for a while now, even before that, before I left, right? I mean, I wanted to leave um, in the first place. Um, and it, it, it's more running against, it's running against the, the status quo, but not necessarily status quo politicians or whatever, because again, it's not person, it's not personal. My, my opponent, if anything in the race is the state of the city, particularly on the East side. Um, and the, what I view as sort of a stagnation, uh, that I think like we're, we're approaching because I think again, like, like Darius said, like we have seen an increase of things, but I think we're going to reach a plateau and I think we have to have people in office who are going to sort of add some more uh, high octane fuel to that engine to keep it moving. Well, you can't, I think, I don't think you can rely on just having a, like three of your like 37 neighborhoods be desirable neighborhoods. In no, you, no, and, you and can't expect that you'll have unlimited growth. No, no, you can't. And again, like, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, people talk a lot about Buffalo say being like a climate refuge city, which is a is something I certainly believe we got access to fresh water. The climate is, uh, unfortunately, I mean, f- depending on who you ask, going to become more temperate as time goes on. As these like winners, we continue, we're going to continue to swing between as we had this weekend, like bitter cold and then sixty degrees. You know, I don't think the I don't know if the lake is ever going to freeze again, all the way. I don't I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Um, and we have to be ready, say in. 50 60 years when a lot of these other places in the united states become unlivable or like you have to terraform the entire earth and it's you know just totally uh, not feasible we have to be ready for like these influxes of people who are going to come and if we don't lay the groundwork like if my generation doesn't lay the groundwork for that we're going to miss out on another opportunity because i think if you go to some of these other cities you go to like cincinnati you go to pittsburgh or whatever They've seen a lot more like development and things like that than than we have here, and and I'm not going to be so presumptuous as to say I know all the reasons why, because um, I think again that's a thing that people do in politics. They try to act like you know they know everything, and I think if anything, an asset for an elected official is to know that they don't know everything, which I know is something I said. I think I was here last time, and being willing to like ask people who might know more than them about a, a particular topic. Um, but, you know, our public transit infrastructure can't handle it. There's not enough housing right now, which means unless we do something about it, there's not going to be enough in 50 years when that time comes. Um, so that ultimately is why I want to do this. Um, I think I, again, I'm running. and it's You know, it's hard for me. I'm not a person who talks myself up a whole lot. I think Jim probably knows that better than the two of you, but I'm, uh, I waver between sort of like humility and then like thinking that I might be able to do something, you know, to help. Um, and like I said, I'm not presumptuous enough to, to think I know everything, but I do think that I'm aware of a lot of what's going on around the country and around the world. And there's no need to reinvent the wheel, right? We know what works. What we have to do is we have to synthesize it. And maybe we should stop using wheels that are, you know, made of wood and for a chariot, maybe, you know, get some vulcanized rubber <laughs> and, you know, like get with the times a little bit. Hey, That's all I'm saying. Don't sell yourself short, man. You got that. You got the sauce. You got the swag. Okay. <laughs> you got, you got the juice, baby. You got the juice. All right. And listen, point well taken, by the way, because when we're talking about, you know, inevitably the, the climate, um, maybe climate refugees or even just the, the change in population, they're coming. 
Like whether we're we're setting the groundwork now because one way or another, those people are coming. It's just what kind of terms do you want that to come with? Exactly, they're, they're already coming because like we, a lot of times, I think we think of climate refuge uh, refugees as like coming from inside the country. But there's a lot of climate refugees that are going to be coming from outside the country. And Buffalo, you know, it, you know, we we talked with Matt Tice from Vive. Buffalo is a is a desirable location for refugees from outside the country. And there's going to be a lot. Of, you already see, like, you know, summers in India where it's like 110, 120 Absolutely. degrees. Like the 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 subcontinent, Southeast Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa, are areas that are becoming unlivable for human beings. And we're going to see more climate refugees. That not just it's, it's not just when when Miami stops existing and it's just like that's a, very it's true underwater. We're going to have these climate refugees, and so we need to be ready not just for like the the intramurals, the the intra country, <laughs> but we need to, for new Americans to have the existing infrastructure and be prepared so we, that we can acclimate them because you know like they're going to be coming from you know places where generally yes it's going to be where it's unlivable because it's too goddamn hot. And come places like, yeah, all right, our winters are much more temperate than you're right. I agree. I don't know that the lake's ever going to freeze again unless, like, unless we invest a billion dollars in, like, a cooling system in the bottom of the lake. Yeah, exactly. But um, run by fossil fuels, though. Right. right yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're gonna, we're, we'll get the pagulas to, to, to frack the yeah. lake. <laughs> um, uh, that's my new slogan, frack the lake. Uh, uh, but, you know, there are, they are going to have to be, like, get acclimated to four seasons. Absolutely. Or... or as close to four seasons as we have as, now. Yeah. Or, I mean, just even having like the infrastructure in place, right? Because right. We, we talk so much about Buffalo is that so much of what's happened around here has been so short-sighted. And what's, what's really inspiring for me, Matt, is the long view type of stuff. Because I think, no, I, I don't want to fault um, our political figures for thinking only in, you know, two or four year windows because that's their term. They right. Are, they no, have you, to you gotta You got to think about what you can do in the time that you're actually given. Mm -hmm. I, that's... 100%. But the long view, I mean, if it's building towards nothing, if it's just like a series of like short, you know, two year, how can I maximize value for myself and cash out? I mean, we're going to come to a point where we, you're right. I think we are going to miss out where other cities are going to really prosper. We're going to probably be taken over by uh, a lot of big moneyed interest, even more so. I think we have a rather um, quaint view of like, big money interests with, you know, all right, the Pagoulas are around here. We got our Doug Jamal. Doug Jamal, yeah. No, there's bigger fish out there. They will come to Buffalo, and it, it could get worse in terms of, like, if you don't like the stuff that your Doug Jamals are doing, yeah, it's, just it, wait. It's, yeah, right. just wait until these, like, BlackRock and these, like, huge, like, right. you know, private equity firms come in. And I think we're already seeing some of this through, like, you know, the shell corporations and stuff that they own. Um, you know, we know that there are, corporations that are buying property here in the city and then just sitting on it and just letting it sit. You know, I, uh, two or three months ago, I went around the corner from where I live now. There's a house listed for a hundred thousand dollars. It's gutted. The roof's been leaking for like three or four years. I went and I looked at it, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, it needs a new roof, but the place hasn't rotted out yet, but it will, if nobody does anything. And there was one sparsely, you know, uh, fastened pretty cheap, like plastic wall scouts on, on a wall with a light bulb. So I called the guy and I was like, all right, I can get you a hundred thousand dollars for this house. I'll, I'll take it. I came up with an idea for it and everything. And then the agent goes, Oh yeah, it's not, he won't take less than one fifty for it. He says, I'll just renovate it himself. 
It's been sitting there for four years. He's never going to renovate this house. And there's stuff like that going on all around the city too, which again is just like jacking up all these prices, keeping the supply down further. Um, you know, there's some other things that I think uh, we're seeing too, like the the prevalence of the Airbnb home. Right. I think is insane. I think it's crazy that you can buy a house, f- flip it, and then not even sell it to a person who's going to be a resident, but keep it unoccupied most of the year and list it on Airbnb. You know, I don't know if there's something that you can do in the zoning law to like tighten that up, but I think it's something that should be looked at. If you're not living other, in the other, house, other cities are doing stuff about the, you know, I mean, I, I know Portland, Maine did something re- restricting Airbnbs in the city because it was making that city, you know, which is already a prohibitively expensive city despite right. its size, uh, even more expensive. And they, I think they attacked not just buying properties and only using for Airbnbs, but even like purchasing doubles with the intent of living in half and renting out the other half as an Airbnb. And they're like, no, 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 there's, they, they put like strict like limits on, on. Yeah. I mean, I think if the house is like, you got to live in it. I I mean, I, again, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to get bogged down in these kinds of, you know, like in this kind of minutia right now. But I mean, if people, people should know what my thought process is, which is that like, yeah, if you're not living in the house, at least like half the time and you're Airbnb it, I don't think that should be, I don't think that should, you know, if you want to rent it when you're, you know, at your summer cottage or you're doing whatever you're doing, you're on a vacation for a couple of weeks. So you want your house to be up on Airbnb. Like that's cool. But the idea that instead of renting it out and actually helping increase the housing supply in the city, that you're going to restrict it to this like insane online service. Right. I think that's just, that's just wild. Well, it's restricting the, and then like, not paying the, like the hotel tax. And the, that's another thing. Your it, house is not a hotel, right? Not a hotel. So you're it's not, not zoned for that. Hey, you, listen, you're, you, you're not paying those fees. Listen, you commies. All right, this is the libertarian paradise that we live in here. Okay, Airbnbs. You could flip. You could sit there. You could sell. Look, if 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 your if one of your restrictions for your Airbnb is you must have a plow in the front of your vehicle when you rent out my Airbnb, so you can plow out the street. That's fine. I'll take that. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're getting. Somewhere. That's a compromise. I think that we can all agree. Right. On right yeah, it's it's I, if if the front of your Kia, which somebody's going to steal, <laughs> has a plow on it. <laughs> But oh. no, Re. Back to the, back to what you, what you're talking about the long term thinking and the fact that if we're worried about you know if we think Doug Jamal is like Blackbeard you know sort of the big corporate raider guy like it is it is going to get worse if we don't tackle it um, and and that's that's you know one of the things that I I hope to be able to do you know once I'm uh, elected to this office yeah and I mean look like at the end of the day obviously whatever capacity you have on the council level, you will be working with business interests. Like, of course. And, and, and that that's true. And I think, um, and I'm not opposed to that. You know, I'm not going to be taking any, you know, LLC donations or corporate donations. Um, but if these people want to talk, you know, like we all live here, we live in, you know, we live in the world as it exists. Right. Like, um, and that was a thing I think that, we realized if anything, like during the storm, you know, I was online following a lot of the conversations and there were people saying, Oh, well, you know, these people are talking about what government's supposed to do. Well, why don't they become self-reliant? Why don't they do this? And I'm like, 
listen, we live in a city in the real world. Okay. Not everybody has eight hours a day to sit and watch, you know, bushcraft videos on YouTube and like, you know, learn how to build, you know, not everybody wants to be Richard Pronicky and go live out in the woods and build a cabin and do the alone thing like that history uh, channel show. Also like the people who say that, like, all right, then fine. Like you want to be self-reliant. I'm going to start your house on fire. It's not arson. Cause you don't have a police department or a fire department to tell me that it's arson. So put it out yourself. You goddamn son of a bitches. Hope you live like, by the canal. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. I hope you live by the canal. Yeah, I hope you live Unfortunately, by the canal. I bought all the property by the canal and I also bought every fucking bucket at the dollar general. <laughs> But no, this this business interest, they're here. And, you know, again, this is back to Darius's interview, because again, like if anybody here hasn't listened to it, you should go listen to it. Because like you said, the guy is, um, the guy's got the juice. His, I think the kids call it Riz these days, but Riz. he's definitely got. There's new words? W, his W Riz, like short for charisma, I believe is, is what you would call it. Um, he's got great stats. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 stats. and I think, um, <laughs> Yeah, these homebrew rules for this uh, D&D campaign are crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um he made a point about not wanting to I guess I guess maybe I should, you know, think of a something I disagreed with, which is that I think um but it, but it's a good point. And so I don't even really know if I disagree with it or not or if I just maybe think about it a little bit differently. Um he talked about wanting these people like Doug Jamal to, you know, do more development on the east side and what Darius said is, well, I don't want to dangle a carrot in front of Douglas Jamal. I want to dangle a carrot in front of Jamal Hakeem. And I think Jamal Johnson maybe would have been a better name for this, you know, uh, not real potential developer that comes from the east side. Um, and I think that that's a very good point. But if he also said that, you know, it's his money and he can do what he wants to with it, which again is true. We, we live in the economic system that we live in. Um, and you call me a commie, my commie friends would like be very mad at you for lumping me in with them. Okay. They used to joke about putting me up to the wall once, you know, the revolution came because I'm the filthy social Democrat. Uh, they um, probably think of us as a bunch of boring libs anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. you're probably right. Um, but if you're not going to dangle a carrot in front of somebody, it's carrot or stick. You got to pick one and maybe you can do, or you can do both. But if Doug Jamal can build something over there, that's going to help lower the cost of rent and increase the amount of, you know, available units over there, whether it's, uh, whether it's rental housing, or if we, you know, maybe start to have some of these conversations about, um, you know, like cooperative housing and things like that. If he can do it, we should find a way that is not a giveaway and things like that to him. But ultimately it's, we can't wait for, that developer to appear if we've got somebody who we can find a way without you know us subsidizing him to hell and back without you know giving him giving away the moon if we can get him to get into that neighborhood and build more housing and do more development to you know boost the economy there to do that and also you know keep from pushing the people out we got to do it right because ultimately like the problem we live in the world that we live in the problems for people there are problems now and we can't sit on our hands because we may not love the people that we're we may not like the people that we're doing business with i'm not a fan of developers right i think like they've gotten a lot out of us but they're the people who have the ability to do this work and we should be you know doing programs in the community we should be trying to find 
Jamal Hakeem, who's going to be the next developer from the east side. But we also have to make sure that when he wants to do that development, he wants to do it in the east side, and he doesn't want to necessarily. Maybe he will do some downtown, but we don't. How want many to people you think were confused? You know, first time they saw Jamal Douglas, like I, I, I dug Jamal's name. Oh, facts. Like, Jamal you know, Douglas. You know, I was. <laughs> I, I no, I think what you're saying there is very important because, like, I think rather than just straight up give money to developers and to as a way to incentivize them to build and say the east side, I think the correct way is. Invest in the infrastructure. Right. Make that a desirable neighborhood for people to live in, and then developers will show up. If you invest in public transport, you invest in, say, I don't know, replacing the water system. You make it so that it's a it's a desirable neighborhood. You you do even even like simple shit like streetscapes. Like look at how much like people like like re redoing Niagara Street. Yeah. Reinvigorated that like that stretch there as far as people wanting to move in. Um, and and reinvest in that neighborhood, or even people who already live there wanting to reinvest in their properties because you know the city showed that they were taking some pride in the neighborhood, so the exactly. residents wanted to show that they were taking some pride in the neighborhood as well. Everybody's got to have some skin in the game, right? And if we're ignoring an entire and and that again, not this isn't so much a commentary about Darius's comments, but as long as we're not putting a focus there, you can't expect the people who have a lot less ability to make the change. You can't expect them to do it if you're not going to show that you have some buy-in well, and, on that as well. I think that's one of the problems like you 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 alluded to earlier is that like the problem for one of the problems for the East Side and the City of Buffalo and, and getting things done is that it's divided yep. between Maston, Ellicott, and Fillmore. If you had one council member who had all the East Side and they were like, "This is this is my baby," like this is what I want to take care of, you know, even even Bowman. Has yep. in Lovejoy yep. has part of Lovejoy yep. has is some of the East Side right so you really have it's four council members who are splitting the East Side if it was one or two and so they had a more concerted effort there be more drive in the city but instead not to take anything away from necessarily what any of those particular council members have done the East Side being divided. The Elmwood Village is also divided amongst a bunch of different council members, but that's different because it doesn't need any help. Sure. Right. Yeah. It, it it already has a help. A lot of wealthy people live there. Right. It doesn't, have, and it doesn't need any help. And also, um, a lot of those councilmen, because they have that part of the city, like they're very focused on right, that's, that part of the city they, as they, well. They focus on what's already successful. Because those, like you said, those are the those. It's already successful. That's where uh, the the affluent people live, and that's sort of, you know, again, not to, again, because my goal is like to. I'm not harping on anybody to say this, but like those are the people who you're going to look out for, right? Ultimately, right. Um, there's a reason why. There's a reason why if you live on like St. James, you see uh, BPD making regular patrols and making sure that, that everybody's going 30 miles an hour, right? And when you live on Dote or you live in Alphabet City, you don't see that exactly. But the challenge is, I mean, some of those people are going to be your constituents inevitably, you know, and like they, no, they they absolutely they absolutely are, and I, again, I think, I having grown up a lot in you know like i said when i was here before like again and it, it it all comes out in the wash anyway like i uh i moved into the ellicott district and then like my mom you know i was lucky enough to get financial aid to be able to go to private school right like mm-hmm. um i grew up with the knoxes and the jacobs and the pierce family and all these people 
Um, and I had a big chip on my shoulder about that for a long time. And now I think if anything, it's given me a bit of, um, you know, I, I can code switch like nobody's business. Um, and I don't mean that to say that I'm like two faced or I'm like pretending in one space or another. Um, if anything, this is a thing I think Hillary Clinton got flack for. I look back on it now, seven years sort of, uh, unfairly, which is that like you talk to different people in different ways because they face different issues. Right. And I think, because of my time in that community, I think I can go to them with a bit um, where they'll, I think I can sort of speak to them in a different way, uh, you know, because I've been doing it my whole life, that doesn't offend them or upset them or cause them to sort of want to, you know, fight back against these things that are doing that again, like you may have to you know, you got to spend a dollar to make a dime, right? Like that's, those are one of the things that you, you know, learn as a kid. It's a thing you hear, obviously the specifics of the numbers might be a little bit different. Um, but I do, I spend, a, I spend, you know, a lot of time in the, in the Elmwood village. And then, you know, after I came home from college, I had never spent, I hadn't spent that much time on the East side. I hadn't because, you know, I, I was a little kid and I went to school where I went to school, but you know, my two best friends from high school uh, now my buddy, uh, he lives on Northampton, just down the street, uh, you know, from Darius. Then my other buddy grew up on, uh, on Amherst on the corner of like Amherst and Manhattan. So after I came home from school, I spent all my time on the East side. Um, and I think having spent so much time now in both communities, I think I have a unique ability to sort of like synthesize the interests of people across the district and get us all to work together toward a common goal of making this city the kind of place where we all want to stay and we want our families to stay for for generations i think that's probably yeah. a good place to wrap it up then matt um what do you say guys matt deering uh, officially endorsed by square podcast here yeah yeah I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah three out of three mm. three out of three the, the triumvirate but not the Roman one where somebody kills. The yeah, other I was going to say which one of you is going to kill me now. <laughs> three out of three podcasters approve. Right? Yeah. Well, I, I three out of three. It's performance cigarettes and Matt Deering for elegant is the two things that we awesome. unanimous on. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, if anybody is, um, we're recording this on Sunday. I haven't officially launched yet. Like I said, this is a Square Podcast exclusive. Exclusivo. Maybe you should put one of those like breaking news sounds in there. And, um, we'll you just, know, we'll mail all of our listeners a Chiron. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so if, you know, uh, the Twitter account's made, but don't follow it. I mean, you can follow it now if you're listening to this. It's Deering, D-E-A-R-I-N-G, four, number four, Ellicott, because I used up all the available uh, letters uh, for a Twitter handle. And uh, the website, DeeringForElicott.com. Uh, hopefully, ActBlue should be up there if you're uh, keen to give a, a donation you know i am like i'm gonna seek the party endorsement but again like this is a good faith effort and that means going to the stakeholders whether it's the party business people and eventually the voters and saying like i'm a team player it doesn't mean i'm a go along to get along but like i want to be part of the team what is it lbj said it's better to be better to be in the tent pissing out than outside of the tent pissing in um <laughs> and like you know i don't want my feet to smell bad <laughs> So are you, are you going after the working families endorsement too? I am. Yeah, I've uh, okay. completed their questionnaire as well. So I, I hope to have, I hope to have their support. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it should be fun. Um, 
like I said, it's going to be a positive issues-based campaign, and um, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah. well, we'll follow the race. Uh, obviously, we'll have you back on as we get a little bit closer, uh, you know, to the primaries that comes up. But right. yeah, keep your June calendar open. Yeah, don't worry, it is. Um, and if anybody's uh, keen to get some steps in on their Fitbit or Apple Watch, I'm going to need help petitioning too. So there'll be an opportunity to sign up to to do that volunteering on the website as well. Awesome. Well, Matt Deering, thanks for joining us here on the Square Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Closet for your wife, that hookah for your...